I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? There's Donald. Airing it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Bell breaks a tackle. Bell trying to go all the way. Le'Veon Bell. Touchdown. Big return for Crowder. And he's going to go all the way. Touchdown. 85 yards. Looking downfield. Fires this one. And intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen. Thank you. From the Vivid Seats studios. And if you download the Vivid Seats mobile app, you can get up to 100 bucks. Off your very first ticket purchase when you use the promo code OVERTIME. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. And we're doing things a little bit differently this weekend. Normally you would get a game day morning mailbag. But because the Jets are playing on Monday and all the other games are going on on Sunday, we're going to do the pregame report on Monday morning. And we're going to do the mailbag right now. So this is the weekend mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. Of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, it's been, I would say, an eventful week in Jetland, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely eventful. Uh, It was one thing after another. It has been nonstop, and it was just like... You know, right from from the game, the way it, it, it all unfolded, Quinnen goes out, and then Mosley goes out, and you're still thinking, all right, they got this, and then they they clearly didn't have it. And then we learn about Quincy, and then Sam Darnold has mono, because of course, of course, the starting quarterback gets mono. And then Le'Veon Bell's got to go get an MRI, but he's fine. But still, it was it was just it, – I, I honestly don't know that I've ever – experience in my 10 years covering the, uh, this team uh, an in-week thing uh, that's been nearly as crazy the only uh, thing that really comes close is like the whole rex ryan foot fetish story but that was just because yeah that was obvious uh, it speaks for itself but just one thing after another i i haven't seen such a crazy and wild week I loved Rex Ryan's line at the time, by the way, since you brought it up. He said, I'm the only guy in the world that could get involved in a sex scandal with his own wife. So <laughs> it didn't yeah. make me laugh quite a bit. And we will have more on the injuries you talked about tomorrow on the pregame report. Dr. Stoller will join us. We will go through all the injuries. And on top of that, we will have a lot about mono, which I'm really looking forward to because there are a lot of misconceptions. A lot of people don't really understand mono. They don't understand what the prognosis is as far as how long it's going to take Sam Darnold to A, come back, and B, fully recover. But Dr. Stoller does know these things. He's an MD. He's been to med school. He's been a doctor for over 35 years. He has a lot more knowledge than we do, and so he's going to enlighten us on the pregame report tomorrow. But for now, we will enlighten you as we take your mailbag questions, and we will start with Anthony Ciclitano, who asks, WTF? That about sums it up, Chris. I don't really know what else to say, but yeah, WTF. WTF indeed. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't think... I don't really think he's looking for an answer there, and there isn't one to give. Uh, uh, just, yeah, I, again, it's uh, one thing after another, uh, just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And I totally get when uh, Jets fans sit here and just like, only the Jets. Like, they find unique ways to lose. 
Uh, they, they find unique ways to crush your hope before it even gets started. And, uh, you know, again, there was so much positivity going into the season and then for it to just flip like it did as quickly as it did and then followed up with all the news from the week. Yeah. WTF indeed. I, 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 I'm sorry. I wish. I wish I could give you a, a, a little tidbit or something to soothe your your pain, but I, I got nothing. Next question comes in from SoCal Jets. He says, what's the point of cheering for this franchise? By week four, we won't even have anything to cheer for again for the fourth straight season. As football fans, we deserve better. Burn this franchise. Okay, listen, that's a little much. I understand you're upset. We all are. We're all disappointed. But this isn't like it's the result of terrible personnel decisions, which, listen, for all we know, the Jets could have gone 0-6, 0-7, 0-8, even if Darnold was healthy and despite the personnel upgrades that were made in the offseason. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is as far as Sam Darnold getting mono, as far as Quincy Inunua getting injured— this is football. Things happen. Bad luck happens. And I understand that a lot of us jokingly say that the Jets have to be cursed because who else has a quarterback that misses all this time with mono? But it's just bad luck. This wasn't the result of bad decisions. Well, I mean, bad, this, this stuff wasn't the result of bad decisions, but bad decisions uh, by the previous regime definitely play into it. Uh, I'm not going to harp on that, though. Okay, I meant mostly the Sam Darnold stuff. <laughs> I agree, but but still, like the loss to the Bills, part part of that. You know, obviously the offensive line was such a mess, but that that's not. We don't need to get hung up on that part. Let me put a little bit of a positive spin on this because you just said, and you you were correct to say this. We don't know, even if Quincy was healthy and Darnold was healthy. Maybe the Jets still start out the season 0-6 or 0-7 or, you know, 1-5, whatever. Well, now at least you have the built-in excuse of your starting quarterback had mono and had to miss. And now maybe you give the offensive line time to gel and uh, improve before he's ready to come back. And you get all the the good teams and the, the really good defenses out of the way. Uh, before he comes back. Maybe that offensive line starts to look better by the time he's ready to come back. And then he can come back and he can pick up where he left off at the end of last season. Whereas if Darnold was completely healthy and was just out there and the offensive line was still a mess and everything was bad, then I could understand a lot more doom and gloom to it right uh, there. So maybe you can go ahead with that little bit of positive silver lining and uh, hope to hang on to. This has been the sequel to Silver Linings Playbook starring the very big deal, Chris (laughs) Nibley. Next question comes in from Randy Sherman. He says, do you believe Demarius Thomas had mono, Bill Belichick knew it, and purposely shipped him to the Jets as a way to infect Sam Darnold? (laughs) I was joking about this with somebody the other day. I was saying, can you imagine Demarius Thomas comes in and he says to Sam Darnold, hey, as teammates, this is something we did in Denver and we were doing it in New England. I'm going to lick my hand. I want you to lick your hand. And then we're going to shake hands. That's the ritual. And then that's how he gave a mono based on this question that Randy Sherman was saying. Obviously, this goes to the whole Bill Belichick is the evil mastermind. The real answer to this is nobody has any idea how Sam Darnold got mono. However, I will say that if Bill Belichick really was that diabolical, I doubt that he would be focusing his efforts on the Jets, who he probably is not very worried about. If anything, he might have done that with the Kansas City Chiefs, shift somebody out there with mono to try and get Patrick Mahomes sick. Yeah, uh, I I saw a bunch of versions of this joke, and I was laughing at them and uh, entertaining them because they were funny jokes. Uh, but the reality is, like you just said, he's not concerned about the Jets. Also, what little we I do know about mono is – it builds in your system for a little while before you get it. So however Sam got it, he contracted it before uh, Demarius Thomas was traded here. Also, I'm pretty sure Demarius Thomas at 31 years old doesn't have mono. So there's a lot of things there, but it's too good of a joke to, uh, to not just sit there and laugh back at. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Jack McAnally. He says, do you think that Sam was experiencing the beginnings of mono on Sunday? And that's why a lot of the plays weren't as high tempo. Also, do you think Trevor Simeon will be able to hold down the fort until Darnold comes back? First part of this. Yes, no question about it. Sam Darnold was suffering the early stages of mono. I can tell you this because as I've said on the podcast before, I've had mono in the past. It isn't something that just happens overnight. He didn't wake up on Tuesday and he said, oh, no, I have mono now. It's something that builds over time. And in fact, Jets Joe 73, who's a loyal listener of this show and who I talked to quite a bit, his wife is a doctor and she talked about this too. There would have been about a seven-day period where he would have felt weak and he probably thought that he had a cold or a flu or something like that. And we're going to get into this more on tomorrow's show with Dr. Stoller. But again, he doesn't just out of nowhere get the symptoms of mono. The beginnings were there, certainly. And you could see it on the arm strength of the throws, on the fact that he didn't roll out a lot. I have no idea whether or not Gase took that into account for his game plan. I think it's certainly possible given the fact that we didn't see a lot of the design rollouts that Chris, you had seen during training camp and that we had seen in the preseason. So yes, I do think that Sam was experiencing the beginnings of mono on Sunday, and I do think that it affected his play. It'd be impossible not to. The second part of the question, do I think Trevor Simeon will be able to hold down the fort? I think he's going to do about as well as the average backup quarterback will. The thing with Trevor Simeon is, and I can tell you this from not only watching him, but also talking to my friend Alex Kirshner, who is a producer at NBC Northwest, and who is also a diehard Denver Broncos fan. What he said when I texted him, all hail Trevor Simeon, as a joke, he wrote back, please warn me before you send me the name Trevor Simeon via text. I now have a massive headache. And he joked that, I don't know if Trevor Simeon is pathologically conservative, but he's pathologically boring. So I think that Simeon's somebody who's not going to kill you by making mistakes. He's also not going to make a lot of big plays. He's going to dink and dunk. They'll play it safe. If the defense holds up their end of the bargain, the Jets may stay close in some of these games and maybe even eke one out. Who knows? Anything's possible. But as you and I have said before, Chris, Trevor Simeon's the type of quarterback, and this is really all you can ask for in 99% of cases if you have a backup quarterback because A, there's a quarterback shortage in the league already, and B, once you get through the 32, now you're looking at the rest of the guys in the league and you're just hoping for somebody that's not going to embarrass you. I think that he's somebody that best case scenario could get you a split against a schedule of decent teams. The problem is the Jets are now going up against a Browns team that might be vulnerable, so that's possibly a winnable game if the Jets are able to get to Baker Mayfield, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow on the pregame report. But then after that, you've got the Patriots coming up on the schedule twice. You've got the Dallas Cowboys who look loaded for bear, the Eagles who are probably going to be one of the best teams in the league. So I think Simeon will do about as good of a job of holding down the fort as you can given the circumstances, but I wouldn't be expecting miracles. Yeah, um, Darnold, uh, Darnold 100% had mono in his system when he took the field against the Bills because like you said, we've talked about uh, mono takes a little while for you to, to show any signs and then you gener- people generally think it's just a cold. Now where the question is how far along in it was he? What did... Was he just feeling like a little off? Was he feeling like he had a cold or strep throat and he was just going to play through it? Or was it like, did the, you know, everything full on effect and he played through it? I agree with you that we, we can't be certain uh, if, if uh, Adam Gase adjusted his play design by that because Gase has said that they didn't think anything was wrong with him during the game, that that wasn't a concern. So as long as he's sticking to that, which I don't necessarily believe, I'm not saying he, he's he's lying for sure, but I wouldn't blame him at all for, uh you know, lying about that 
but as long as he's saying that, then I can't know, uh, I can't just say, okay, yeah, he adjusted it completely for it. It does seem likely that he adjusted it just based on everything we saw this whole off season and everything he's talked about and how completely different and conservative and almost scared it, uh, he was coaching. Uh, but it's possible that maybe he was just doing that because he was scared of the Bills' defense. I do think it affected his play. I don't, again, how much depends on how much he was feeling, but uh, how much he was feeling it. But the idea that, you know, just him not rolling out, him underthrowing, he, he looked tired and lethargic out there. He looked fatigued uh, right from the jump. So uh, I don't know how much to put into that, but I do believe it affected him in some way. As for Trevor Simeon holding down the fort, no. I know I it, maybe they can uh, snag a win or two if the defense goes and um, you know creates a bunch of turnovers gets them in good field position but against and like you said if, if we we're talking about later in the season against you know the Dolphins and much easier matchups then maybe I I could say it but against this stretch of games they got coming I just I just do not see it the defense is going to need to really step up and dominate the game uh, if, for, the, for him to be able to hold down the fort. He might be able to get a win, but I'd be, I'd be surprised if he got more than one. I think if you mean don't lose the game for the Jets and if the defense does its job, keep them in the game, then maybe he can hold down the fort. But if you're expecting him to go out there and be really awesome and – produce wins that you aren't expecting that's where i think you're probably asking for a little too much next question comes in from peter dillard i love peter because he always starts by calling us gentlemen i very much appreciate that but i also think that it's miscast chris i don't know how gentlemanly you and i are are we gentlemen i am a gangster and a gentleman <laughs> uh, that's that's how how i have always been referred to and considered and that's how i roll i don't know about you i, I won't speak for you but i i am styles p i am a gangster and a gentleman i try to be both a gentleman and a scholar but peter asks you touched on this on the podcast can you please explain this team's roster configuration what are they doing with so many defensive linemen if they are going to be inactive? Also, do you see a scenario anytime soon where Harrison comes in for Khalil, even if there's no injury? So let's start with the first part of that. The roster configuration is weird to me. I don't really understand it. In fact, as soon as Anunwa was put on IR, they went out and got another defensive lineman. So I'm not entirely sure what the point of all of this is. Makes no sense to me. I think they have other needs, and there's no reason for them to be carrying so many defensive linemen, especially, as you said, since most of them don't even end up playing. The next part of the question, listen, Khalil was really bad on Sunday. There's no way around that. He was not good. Now, let's remember that it's not like he had any time playing with these guys in an actual game. He's still getting up to speed, so let's give him some time. But yeah, if by, say, week four or something like that, he's still playing like this, I wouldn't be 100% shocked to see Jonathan Harrison in there because at that point, Adam Gase is going to be doing everything he can to avoid the season slipping into the abyss. So that's where I think that could happen. If Khalil continues to play really poorly, then maybe we would see Harrison. But I'm willing to give him a little bit of time to get adjusted. All right, so with the roster construction, this is the only thing that makes any sense to me is they're just saying – hey, we're going to have some weird roster construction this year. We're going to be uh, light at some positions and deep at other positions. But uh, what we're doing is we're just keeping as many good players as we can. Or as many players that we like and believe in and think have value to us this year and going forward as we can. Uh, that basically it's just because they know about how – the depth issues that they have on this team, uh, it, it's going to take a lot for it to be able to replenish that even a, a whole off season next year, even with free agency, being able to do that, make trades, be able to do that. And the draft to be able to replenish that. It's still going to take a lot to be able to do that this year. So if they cut some of these players at other positions that they deem are definitely roster worthy and have value just to go get, 
somebody that could be passable for this year, I think that could be a problem. Um, so I think that they're just saying, listen, we're gonna, we have a, a limited amount of players that we know are really good and can trust, uh, will have value to us going forward from here. And we're going to make sure we keep all of them, but position be damned. Um, as far as the Khalil thing, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. Uh, obviously, we have to give Khalil more time. Uh, I was very skeptical of the Khalil acquisition, as we remember, <clears throat> right when it happened. But you still have to give him a few more games. Uh, it, that whole inside of the line only had a, a few practices together, didn't get any reps together in the preseason. So you're going to have to give him another couple of weeks before you can really uh, – say anything but if it keeps up and it looks like it did on Sunday then yeah uh, Jonathan Harris is going to come in here um and here's something I do don't do very often but I will shoot Mike McCagnan a tiny little bit of bail because I watched that uh Carolina Tampa Bay game and Matt Paradis was really bad in that game so uh, we all thought like hey sign Paradis and That'll be the answer to your center situation. Obviously, that was just one game. I didn't see Carolina the week before, but uh, <clears throat> but he he looked really bad on Thursday night. So this center center position might have just been a nightmare disaster, no matter what. Really, play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. He says, so much negativity amongst fans right now. Say Sam has gone five weeks, that's four games. Any chance the Jets can steal some of those games with Simeon at the helm? I believe they can. Me personally, Gus, do I think it's possible? Yes. Do I think it's likely? No. There's a reason that the Jets are underdogs in every single one of those games. I think the most likely one for them to steal would be Monday night against the Browns. If they can do that then maybe they can steal another one, maybe the Cowboys at home. But if I were a betting man, I would say that if nothing else, it's going to be very, very difficult because the Jets got a really tough break here in the sense that all of their tough opponents are at the beginning of the season and their star player, their starting quarterback is out now. So you have to go up against the toughest part of the schedule with your backup quarterback. That's a lot to deal with and a lot to ask for in terms of trying to get a bunch of wins, or as you said, even just a couple of them. It's going to be tough, no question about it. Impossible, no, but very difficult. Yeah, the the Browns game is the one you're looking at because you look at how they played last week. Now, I didn't get a chance to actually go and uh, watch the game that they played last week yet. I, I'm probably going to watch it uh, tomorrow morning uh, before the, the, the full slate of games starts, but... They had 18 penalties. They they seem to be a very undisciplined team. Um, Baker Mayfield threw a bunch of picks late in the game. Obviously, we know Odell is fired up, and he's doing this whole thing with Greg Williams, and then what Greg Williams said back is, is going to get him more fired up. And we've seen in the past with Odell, if you can get him you know, too fired up, it, it works against him. Um, he can kind of take himself out of the game. Obviously, the the one that you point to is the, the game against Carolina when Josh Norman was still there. Um, you can kind of take him out of the game that way. Uh, the rest of the team so undisciplined. That offensive line is as big of a mess as the Jets' offensive line. Uh, so that that's the one you got to look at and think that they can win. Otherwise, I, I don't see them beating the Cowboys even at home. I don't see them beating the Patriots in either of those games. And the only way I can see them beating the Eagles is if something happens to Carson Wentz and they have to be playing uh, a backup there because I just I don't see it. Uh, the Browns is the only one I, I think they can do, and that's going to require you know some some of the Browns beating themselves in order for that to happen. Would be poetic justice if Carson Wentz went down and the Jets still lost to the Eagles with Uncle Josh a quarterback, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, that, that'd be interesting to see for sure. Next question comes in from Beningo's Wrath. He says, why does God hate the Jets? I'll tell you what. I'll see if I can get him on the line. Maybe he'll come on the podcast and he can talk all about it because I don't want to pretend to speak for God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know what 
what the Jets did to him, uh, or him, him or her. I don't know. I don't know what what the Jets did, but they did something. It was, it was probably Joe Namath. Joe, you know, way back then, Joe Namath and and his ways, his flashy uh, off the field antics. Maybe too many women. Who knows? Uh, but it was probably Joe Namath doing something that uh, it got got he he hates the Jets. I mean, let's be real here. There's no other explanation. Of course, the running joke is that Joe Namath sold his soul to the devil for the Jets Super Bowl in 1969, and they haven't been able to get back to the Super Bowl ever since. So perhaps it is the curse of Joe Namath. Next is a series of questions from Sun Moon Rise says. I am still not over that loss against the Bills. Here are some questions. Number one, what did the Bills do to make number 33, that of course is Jamal Adams, look invisible for most of the time? So I will take this opportunity to say that if you haven't watched it yet, go and watch Joe Blewett's review of this game and also listen to Exynel Quick Hits, which dropped yesterday where he went through all the key spots. Jamal Adams wasn't quote-unquote Jamal Adams on Sunday against the Bills, but he was definitely better than people are giving him credit for. Also, especially when C.J. Mosley left the game, they were locking on him. So at that point, Jamal Adams, all 220 pounds of him, had to go up against 300-pound Mitch Morse. Not a favorable matchup. That's a tough ask for just about anybody. So while he didn't have dynamic plays, I think that saying he was invisible is probably overstating the case a little bit. Chris, I'll let you answer that one, and then we'll move on to the other two questions that Sun Moon Rise asked. Yeah, you know, I I saw a bunch of people saying that immediately after the game, and I was a little confused because he wasn't invisible to me. Uh, now, I have uh, the vantage point of having the bird's eye view in the press box there, and when you're watching the game on regular broadcast view, you're going to not notice stuff. Uh, I'm with you, though. He clearly didn't have the impact that we've grown accustomed to him having. But I think a lot of it was just a, a kind of the matchup and just the way the game unfolded. I mean, you had that w- one play early in the game where Jamal blitzed and almost had the sack on Josh Allen. But Josh Allen is a really hard quarterback to sack. And then Josh Allen just got out of the way and then ran uh, for a a nice play. There was a lot of that. The fact that the Bills came out and they ran uh, 17 straight pass plays. Now, that's a little tricky because Josh Allen ended up taking off running for a couple of those. But the design was a pass play for the first 17 of them. Uh, I think they kept him a little off balance, moving stuff around. Uh, obviously, when C.J. Mosley came out, that uh, led into it. And then on top of that, as we talked about during the week, they only had the five defensive linemen for the game. Quinnen went out after only like 10 snaps, I think it was. So there was four defensive linemen there playing the whole game. That's all, all they had. And by the time C.J. Mosley went out, those guys were tired. Those guys are tired and probably not being able to help Jamal as much by being able to hold their offensive linemen guys more, making Jamal's job more difficult. Um, And I also think the Bills were very aware of of him and were, you know, looking to run plays to an opposite spot of him. Or, you know, if he's on this side of the field, go to the other side of the field type of thing. So I – and another thing – you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people <clears throat> uh, on Twitter doing this whole snapshot of Greg Williams with uh, Marcus May uh, 30 yards off, off the line. I, I saw that time and time again during the game. By the time the ball was snapped, almost every single play, by the time the ball was snapped, Marcus May was about 15 yards off the line, which is a lot more normal. So they it, it, on Sunday, they were doing that where – he starts out very far back, but by the time the play snapped, he was up a lot closer than that. Next question from Sun Moon Rise is, why could the Bills be so successful with their interior rush? Who was the weak link here? <laughs> Who wasn't the weak link? I guess the only one that really wasn't embarrassing was Kelechi Assimile. And again, I will refer you to Joe Blewett's film review, which you can watch on our YouTube channel, Turn On The Jets TV, where he goes through all of this. Brian Winters was absolutely terrible. Khalil was not good. Shell was an embarrassment. His technique is terrible. I don't think he's going to be able to fix that in time for the Jets to seriously consider bringing him back. 
Kelvin Beecham got pushed around quite a bit. So really, it was the entire Jets offensive line that didn't do well, Coleccio Semele being the lone exception there. And the Bills have a really good defense and a really good defensive line. So when you put all of that together, it was a big disaster. Yeah, yes to everything you just said. And uh, I'll say this again. There is a very real possibility that the Jets need an entirely new offensive line next year. All five positions. Now, now you got to hope that Adoga can take one of those spots. uh, And, you know, I hope that uh, Osemele shows enough that you can bring him back. So then you only really have to worry about three. But it is a distinct possibility that they need all five of them replaced. Uh, Winters was awful. Khalil was awful. Osemele was better than the rest, but he got uh, thrown around a couple times as well. Um, But, yeah, a a large part of that is it could be pinned on them not the inside uh, group not uh, playing together a lot but also just the Bills defensive line is it is very good and Ed Oliver was beasted bulls uh there it, there was a lot going on there and that Bills uh defensive line is is really really good and you put that up against you know one of the worst offensive lines in the league that's what's going to happen Last question from Sun Moon Rise is, regarding the Browns, what did the Titans do well to make the Browns eat 43 points? So first of all, I must refer you to our podcast earlier in the week, Prepare for Takeoff with Paulie Brzez. He had Jake Burns on from the Orange and Brown Report and Brown's film breakdown, and Jake is fantastic. In a lot of ways, he's the Joe Blewett of Cleveland Browns coverage because he has an advanced understanding of film, and he has a fantastic way of breaking it all down. If you're not following Jake, I highly recommend it, and you should check out his film stuff too, but you should listen to his full answer on this. The short version is they were able to get pressure on Baker Mayfield because that Cleveland offensive line is really, really bad. And Chris, we're going to get into this more tomorrow on the pregame report, but that'll be one of the keys for the Jets if they want to have any chance to win is they're going to have to get pressure on Baker Mayfield and that defensive line is going to have to push around that weak Cleveland offensive line that in all the hype and all the Super Bowl talk that was going on in the offseason about the Browns, people neglected to talk about the fact that their offensive line still needs a lot of work. Yeah, the the Browns offensive line is is in really bad shape, and it's one of those things that uh, definitely wasn't talked about enough. Everyone was all excited about the shiny pieces and the really talented defense that they have, but that offensive line is really bad. They traded away Zeitler, the their best offensive lineman, um, in a separate deal to the Giants uh, than the one that they got Odell in. But that has a huge impact there. Um, again, like I said earlier, I didn't watch this game yet. I'm I'm planning to watch it tomorrow before the game starts. So once I do, I'll I'll go ahead and uh, text uh, or tweet Sunroom Rise about what I saw once I really break that game down. But they had 18 penalties for 182 yards. That has to have played a huge part in it that offensive line getting beat. Tennessee's got a really good defense, and that offensive line uh, really making things a a problem for them. Of course, Baker threw three interceptions. I know it was late in the game. And then, you know, Derrick Henry broke off a 70, uh, like a uh, 75-yard touchdown reception. Uh, Derrick Henry does not do that with with receptions very much. So um, there was just, it seems like without having really watched it, it seems just a lot of little things, the penalties, the offensive line, and just everything just kind of piled on top of each other and just completely broke the Browns. Next question comes in from me, and it's about the weather because I want to know what we should be expecting weather-wise at MetLife Stadium tomorrow night for the Jets game, and I want to know what's going on weather-wise later today in some of the key matchups around the league. So, of course, for that we turn to our weather expert, my buddy Ed Valley, the CEO of Empire Weather. Ed, go ahead and tell us what we're looking at in terms of weather today and tomorrow. Thanks, Scott. Really happy to be contributing again this week. And we're going to just talk a little bit about the weather, not only for the Jets game, but around the league. And, and as we get deeper into the fall, the weather obviously becomes more important. As the weather turns from sunny and warm to less sun and, and more rain and snow as we get deeper into the season. But for now... 
We're just going to focus on the Jets game, and then we'll talk a little bit about only one game I'm watching here that could have any weather implications for in-division football and just fantasy football in general. And that game is the Pats at the Miami Dolphins. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, if you're heading out to the Jets game here on Monday, a long-awaited matchup that, as, as we all know, has been stifled by the good old kissing disease. But it's looking like a pretty decent day. If you're going out tailgating, I think it's going to be in the low 80s. It's going to feel like summer. So for the middle of September, it could be much, much worse. However, as we get deeper into the evening, I think we're going to watch a front move down from the north, and that's going to introduce at least a spotty shower chance during the game. So if you're going to the game, pack a poncho, but generally we're going to start the game off around 75, a really nice evening in New Jersey. And, And as we head through the game, as that front moves through, we'll get down into the upper 60s to right around 70 degrees throughout the day or throughout the evening. And those winds will be out of the northeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Not necessarily enough to be a, a game changer, but if you're out there, again, if you throw in a, a shower or two with some of that breeze, it, it could get a little uncomfortable. But for, for the game's purpose, I think we're in pretty good shape. And hopefully we can squeeze out a win, but we want those conditions to be perfect for Trevor Simeon to be able to kind of optimize our opportunity here. And we have a lot of guys that are banged up. Lev Bell is banged up. We got Quinnen. And C.J. Mosley that are banged up. Robbie had a hamstring injury there last week. Uh, so there's there's a lot of, of players here that are playing. And you toss in a, a little rain chance. That's at least something to monitor. But for the most part, I think we should be good. And hopefully we can snag out a win. But the other thing across the league, are our friends, Mr. Brady, Mr. Belichick, and Mr. Kraft, uh, are heading down to Miami. And they're playing a 1 o'clock kickoff against the Dolphins. And as it stands right now, I think... Most of the day is is probably dry, but we're we're watching a hurricane actually develop close to the Bahamas here this weekend, and that could bring a little bit more in the way of wind uh, to Miami here, and and you toss in a a spotty storm chance, that's something to keep in mind, and obviously we have the extreme heat in South Florida this time of the year, so all those things considered, I think we're going to at least have to watch that matchup for at least some weather impact, but for the most part, most games around the league are either inside or going to see some pretty nice weather. So, as always, go Jets. Hopefully we can sneak one in here. And uh, I'll talk to you guys again next week. Back to you, Scott. Thanks so much, Ed. Great job, as always. Go ahead and follow Ed on Twitter, at EdValleyWX. That's E-D-V-A-L-L-E-E-W-X. Or you can follow at EmpireWX on Twitter as well. Ed is the best there is, and I'm so glad that he was able to give us some really important information about the weather tomorrow night at MetLife Stadium, but also later today because the Patriots-Dolphins game is an interesting one in terms of who you want to pick for your fantasy matchup this week at FanDuel because if you're in a weekly or daily league and you're thinking about taking one of the Patriots because you think that they're going to beat up on the Dolphins, now you know what the weather conditions are like so you can decide for yourself whether or not it's worth doing that. I know that regardless of whether or not I have a Patriot on my roster every week, I'm definitely going to be playing with FanDuel, though, because there are millions of dollars in cash and other prizes that you can win. And if you're a first-time customer, you can get 20 bucks in site credit if you deposit 20 bucks or more. The beauty of FanDuel is that it's week-to-week, day-to-day, so if somebody is underperforming or if they get hurt, like what happened to Sam Darnold, it doesn't ruin your season. Sign up for FanDuel right now and get 20 bucks in total bonus. Just make your first deposit of 20 bucks or more to get started, and you'll get an extra 5 bucks in site credit every week for four weeks. Go to FanDuel.com slash DFS Fantasy or download the FanDuel app today. All right, Chris, now that we got through the weather, let's get on to the next question, and it comes in from basically Rhubarb. He says, if the O-line continues to play like it did against the Bills, does it really matter who the quarterback is? What type of offense can you build around if the offensive line is going to perform that poorly? Listen, if that's the case, then the Browns might as well forfeit their season, as we just said. You're going to have deficiencies. Now, I expect the offensive line to play better as the season goes along. I'm not saying they're going to be great. I think that best-case scenario, they're going to be below average, but maybe not the absolute worst in the league. I think they could probably be around the 20th best offensive line. 
That's not great, but you can get around that. There are ways to do it, especially once Darnold gets healthy again. He's somebody that can move outside of the pocket and doesn't necessarily need to stand back there and have the offensive line be able to hold guys for multiple seconds. There are ways to scheme around it. You can release the ball quickly. They can do a lot of stuff with Le'Veon Bell, some short passes with Jamison Crowder. And like I said, I think the offensive line is going to play better as the season goes along. So yes, obviously it does matter who the quarterback is. I get what you're saying. Certainly, it makes the quarterback's job a heck of a lot harder, but you'd much rather have Sam Darnold back there and a healthy Sam Darnold than Trevor Simeon. Yeah, it it definitely does matter because of you need somebody with pocket presence and pocket mobility. Um, And, you know, again, uh, people always talk about mobility and they think you mean a quarterback that's going to run a lot. But to look at Tom Brady, he's one of the best, has the best mobility inside the pocket that you're going to see. Obviously, the Patriots have a, a good offensive line now. They had a great one last year. Uh, but they've had some really bad offensive lines during this stretch, too, that were kind of masked because of how good uh, Brady is at moving around inside the pocket. You look at um, you know Atlanta with Matt Ryan, how much he's improved with his footwork and moving around the pocket. They've upgraded their line too, but he's still able to to kind of negate some of the problems they've had in the past because of how much he's improved with moving inside and out of the pocket. So it, it does matter. Um, you do need a quarterback. If you have a bad offensive line, you need a quarterback who's better moving around the pocket. But if they're going to be as bad as they were on Sunday, I don't know that we can bank that a healthy Sam Darnold at, is that good inside the pocket to be able to do all that uh, enough. Uh, I'm not, I'm not so certain about that. So <clears throat> the, the offensive line is going to need to drastically improve, but also as we've talked about a, a couple of times already here, once this uh, first stretch of games come up, they're not going to be going up against those types of defenses. So the offensive line will book, look a little bit better just by the fault of not playing against the top uh, top defensive lines. That will wrap up the mailbag. Chris, as always, thanks for joining me. We will do another show tomorrow where we will do a full pregame report, which will include an injury report and, of course, a full breakdown of mono, what it means for Sam Darnold and the Jets going forward and all of that with Dr. Steven Stoller. In the meantime, though, Chris, plenty of material, and I do mean plenty of material, up over at JetsInsider.com between you and Alan. I can't even imagine how much midnight oil you guys have been burning the last couple of days. There's certainly been a lot to talk about, that's for sure. Uh, Alan's got uh, a you know his look-back story, history up uh, about a memorable matchup against the Browns up. I'm waiting till Monday to post my... Uh, to post the game preview. Normally I post those on Fridays, but I figured, you know, no need to post it on a Friday for a Monday night game. So I'm uh, like I said, I'm going to look at the, the Browns Titans game tomorrow morning, and then I'll have a full preview up there, including talking about really how the, uh, the jets can try to, you know, work around not having Sam Darnold, what they can do with Trevor Simeon, see if they can game plan some little sneaky ways to exploit the Browns and take advantage of them. And uh, what, what areas on the team in the field that the Jets are going to need to win if they're going to have a shot at winning this game. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. It's Sunday morning, so for some gambling tips to make you some money this weekend, we bring in our gambling expert, professional poker player, and sports book better extraordinaire, my brother Craig Mason, live from Las Vegas. Craig, what's going on? What's going on, Scott? Looking to uh, revenge. Uh, you know, I had a decent week last week. The Jets really kind of screwed me, as I'm sure the, plenty of the listeners aren't too happy about how things progressed. And then with Darnold having his uh, mono issue, it's hard, it's hard to say after one week the season's over, but let's be honest, it's pretty close to over. <laughs> it's definitely not in a good place right now. But you did okay last week. A lot of people giving you grief because you went one and two in your individual picks, but you did hit on your teaser. If the Jets had won, you would have had a pretty good week. So just to review, you had the Jets giving two and a half to the Bills. Obviously, the Bills came back and won that one, so you lost there. You had the Dolphins covering the spread, and you said you would have even taken the money line against the Baltimore Ravens. 
ouch, that one didn't work out. But you nailed the Patriots because they destroyed the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you hit on your teaser. You had the Chargers over the Colts. And you also had the Eagles over the Redskins. So not so bad. Let's see how you do this week. You've once again got a teaser and three individual picks, including the Jet game on Monday night. So what do you think? All right. So actually this week I'm going to go for four picks. I'll give you guys an extra bonus one. So last week, like you said, you know, first week I went with Miami. That was pretty stupid, clearly. Lamar Jackson destroyed them. So this week I'm actually, my first pick is going to be the Ravens. Since they destroyed Miami last week, I don't see any reason why they don't destroy Arizona this week at home. Minus 13, that is going to be my first pick. I like that pick, Craig. I'm not very confident in Arizona. I know Kyler Murray played fairly well down the stretch and made some plays, but overall, I just think Baltimore is a buzzsaw. They're at home. I think they're going to put a whooping on Arizona, so I'm with you on that one. What do you got as your second pick? All right, my second pick, this one I like a lot. So last week, I think a lot of people were shocked to see Tennessee just absolutely destroy Cleveland and just made Mayfield look real bad. So I'm going to continue here with Titans minus three and a half at home against the below average Indianapolis Colts team. I just think Titans played real well last week. I think they're going to continue it and play well again this week and put a nice little beating on the Colts. That's a tough one. I know Tennessee's at home, but the Colts played pretty well on the road against the Chargers last week, almost pulled that game out. I don't know that I think the Titans are as good as the Chargers, so this could be a tough one for you. It's a bit of a risky pick, but I respect it, Craig. What do you got for your third pick? All right, so my third pick, I'm going to go another little bit of a risky one, but again, most of these picks had something to do with my last week's picks that we saw. Pittsburgh, I know it's the Patriots, and they were on the road at a Sunday night game, but they got absolutely blown out. And to me, Seattle is just a tough team. They're plus three and a half. I know it's at Pittsburgh, but I like the points here. I think it's going to be a close game, field goal either way. So I like Seattle plus three and a half at Pittsburgh. Seattle barely getting by the Cincinnati Bengals at home last week. Of course, the Steelers got blown to bits by the Patriots. So you've got one team that barely was able to do what they were expected to do at home, another team that got trashed by arguably the best team in football. It's a compelling matchup, and you could easily go either way here. So I, again, respect what you're doing here because you're going out there on a limb and taking a risk. And let's see what kind of risk you're taking in the Monday night game with the Jets and the Cleveland Browns. What do you think? No Sam Darnold. Le'Veon Bell is banged up. Quincy Noon was out for the year. I'm going to assume you like the Browns here. All right, so before I get to that one, I was going to throw one bonus one at you. I like, a lot of people might be surprised by this one, but I'm going to go Sunday night football. I like the Atlanta Falcons at home plus two against Philadelphia. To me, I know the Eagles are a good team. They didn't impress me much last week. They barely got by Washington. I just think Atlanta is going to be hungry to get a win here at home Sunday night, pumped up national TV. I like the Falcons. The one thing the Falcons really have going for them here is that the Eagles secondary really struggled against the Redskins last week, and they're going to, I would assume, struggle against a strong set of receivers for Atlanta, especially Julio Jones. I do think that the Eagles are a much better team than the Falcons, but the Falcons are at home. So while I personally would go with the Eagles, I totally understand why you're going with the Falcons here. They're the home team. They've got a potent passing attack against the weak secondary. So this is going to be an interesting one to watch on national television Sunday night. And then, of course, Monday night, the national game, the Jets and the Cleveland Browns. Okay, so this one, I mean, I I, I was going to pick this game, and then I decided to stay away from it just because, uh, I mean, Jets have so many injuries and no Darnold, and God, everything is just telling you things are not looking good for the Jets. But if you're forcing me to pick this one, you know, honestly, I think Cleveland got a little overhyped start the season. Everyone's saying, oh, they're going to make the playoffs. They're even Super Bowl contenders in the next couple of years. I think people need to relax a little bit. I like the Jets here, plus six and a half at home. Listen, I hope this isn't another situation like last week with Miami against Baltimore where I'm totally wrong and they just get completely blown out, but I just don't see it. I think Monday night, the crowd's going to be pumped up. I, I get all the injuries. I know it's Trevor Simeon and not Darnold, but I'm just not overly impressed by Cleveland. I'm not saying the Jets are going to win the game, but I, I think I think they keep it close and maybe lose by a field goal. I, I think they could even still win the game. 
I think what you could look at here is the point spread. Because I expect the Browns to win this one. Although, listen, anything's possible. Trevor Simeon's not the worst quarterback in the world. And Le'Veon Bell is going to play. So it's not like it's impossible for the Jets to get pressure on Baker Mayfield and just not make mistakes and eke out a close one here. But the six and a half points really is what could swing it for you because maybe you think the Browns are going to win a close one or the Jets are going to win a close one, and you don't think that it's going to be some sort of blowout the way that a lot of people do. And if that's the case, the six and a half points makes a lot of sense. I will say this. If you did want to bet on the Browns, boy, did you do yourself a favor by betting on them before the mono news came out, right? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the spread went up four points when from it was the opening line, I believe, was two or two and a half, and then... It jumped up to five and a half, and now I see it all the way at six and a half. So, yeah, definitely, I, if you bet on the Browns, hopefully you didn't uh, bet it right away, or you did bet it right away, I should say. And what do you like for a teaser this week? You hit on your teaser last week. What can you give people that are looking to make a few bucks on a teaser this week? Okay, so this week I'm going to go with, listen, to me, you can never really go wrong. I, I actually thought about making them one of my regular picks, but on the road, it just seemed like a ton of points. But with the six and a half less, I'm going to go here with the Patriots minus 12 against Miami. I mean, I just don't see them not winning this game by two touchdowns. Miami is absolutely pathetic. Uh, everyone's talking about their tanking. They, they might be tanking, try to get the number one pick. I mean, they're horrible. The Patriots are the Patriots. I just can't see this being anything, anything close at all. Hard to disagree. I think the Patriots are going to absolutely destroy them. I know that sometimes Miami has a way of playing the Patriots tough, and obviously you've got a situation where one of Belichick's lieutenants is now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, but I just think that there's not enough talent there, and a lot of the key players are annoyed enough already, so who knows what the dynamic is going to be there. There were the reports that these guys are demanding trades. Now there's talk that Minka Fitzpatrick, who's one of their best players, could be on the way out. So, yeah, it's hard to argue with you on that one. I think the Patriots minus 12 on a teaser is a no-brainer. What do you have for your second game? All right, so the second game, I know people usually say don't put all your eggs in one basket, but I'm going to go back to one of my regular picks that I had and continue on here with the Ravens and get a minus six and a half. I mean, to me at home, like I said, I think they're going to blow them out anyway. But to give it now to have less than a touchdown spread, I just think it's a no-brainer. Ravens look good. I think they're going to be pretty good this year. And at home, just I don't see Arizona having much of a chance. Going with what appears to be two of the best teams in the league against what appears to be two of the worst teams in the league. Never a bad strategy, right? Exactly. And like, like I said, my years of sports gambling, I've, I've known, don't go against the Patriots. This is true. They have a way of covering the spread and winning Super Bowls, too. Let's hope that doesn't happen again this year, but I have a feeling that we're probably headed down that road. Craig, as always, thanks for joining me. Looking forward to doing this again next week. For people that want to get a hold of you, talk to you on social media, maybe send you an email, how can they do that? Maybe they want to pick your brain on some sports betting stuff, even poker. It's uh, CMASE, C-M-A-S-E 86 at AOL.com. And then, yeah, Craig Mason on Facebook. I don't currently have Instagram or any of that, but probably start something up soon. Go ahead and email Craig at CMASE 86 at AOL.com. That's C-M-A-S-E 86 at AOL.com. And connect with him on Facebook. He's more than happy to talk poker or betting lines with you. So go ahead and connect with him there. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.